So today we'll look at fluid and electrolyte imbalances. Our body fluid is divided into various compartments. Um, we have the ECF compartment, which is the extracellular fluid compartment. We have the ICF, which is the intracellular fluid compartment. And uh, we also have another compartment that we call the third fluid space or the third space. Now, in our system, electrolytes are substances that um, on dissolving in solution, they produce ionizations, meaning they have charges that the body needs <clears throat> to function, that the brain needs to function, that our heart needs to function, our kidneys need these electrolytes, the other fluid components, to function well. Without these electrolytes, our body will not gain its charges, then we cannot function at normal or regular interval. Our body compartments um, have different, different components, like I said. These components provide balance when they are at equilibrium, they provide balance, which we call homeostasis. Before your body can have homeostasis, you have to be balanced with, uh, you have to be at equilibrium with your various body fluid compartments. Without these fluid compartments, we cannot be at equilibrium. We cannot maintain stability, which we call homeostasis, and then it leads to other conditions that might put us at risk for complications of fluid volume deficit, such as fluid excess hypervolemia or fluid volume deficit hypovolemia, which will lead to hypovolemic shock. And if it is not arrested, our heart shuts down and it is the end of our existence. This is how these things work. Now, I want to understand that these fluid compartments are divided by semi or number of membranes. These membranes I call semi permeable membrane, meaning they are membranes that serve as demarcation between these compartments. <clears throat> but these membranes filter. Um, different compartment at different time. They are controlled by our brain system, our central nervous system. Our brains, that our brain is the, is the one that uh, stimulates this system to increase its regulation, decrease its regulations with different hormones and other things coming into interplay. Hormones like the aldosterone. Aldosterone regulates fluids and sodium in our body or sodium or electrolyte in our body. 
it helps to decrease the excretion of sodium in our body and in here we get to know that uh, sodium and water they have what we call affinity meaning they have love for each other so it is the love story that exists between sodium and fluid or water that we always see when there is a sodium deficit in at many times there will be fluid deficit when there is increased sodium there is at many times increased fluid but there are few exceptions that when you're going to have when the body has increased sodium the body might have decreased fluid so we'll get to those um, exceptions when it comes to the rules of sodium and water love story or the affinity affinity is like the love the likeness sodium has for water that's what we call affinity now <clears throat> in this compartment the first component is the intracellular fluid space um in this intracellular fluid space we are talking about all of the fluid component that are formed within the cells that's why it is called intracellular like you say intrapersonal communication when you say intra it means within so an intrapersonal communication it is a communication that is taking place within our own within our mind within our soul in our body we are thinking on things that becomes intrapersonal communication so when we say intracellular fluid compartment we are talking about the fluid compartment that is found within the cells in our body those cells contain fluid that serve as a medium for survival so when we have the ICA which is the intracellular fluid compartment we are talking about the fluid compartment that is from within the cells body that's one which is called the ICA it's right here now I'm going to put it from here in the cells. This is from in the body of the cell or of cells. The ICF. Now, then we have the ECF. Now, the ECF is called the extracellular fluid compartment. The ECF. Now, the ECF it is that fluid space, or uh, it is the fluid that are formed within with uh, from outside the cell's body so between two cells the cells are moving in fluid they are swimming in fluid so the fluid that they are swimming in that is what we refer to as the extracellular fluid they are extra because they are formed outside the cell's body like you have extra uterine life when the baby is born the baby transition between two different spaces why in utero the baby is in what we call intra uh they are in in vitro so in there they are within the mother's uterus so that becomes intra uterine life when they are born they transition from the intra uterine life to the extra uterine life so we must put in those um we must put in those mechanisms for the child or for the neonate to coexist or to get used to 
life outside the uterus and that's why we call the extra uterine layer that is when we talk about um homeostasis for the for the infant we talk about like uh um like trying to like uh, put those mechanisms into place that will prevent heat loss because in utero they they have a stable heat uh, or they have a stable heat level when they come out of utero they have unstable they have instability because outside the uterus the atmosphere is not stable so when they come out we have to put in those mechanisms to maintain their heat and other things in the body so we call that extra uterine layer. so when we talk about extra cellular fluid we are talking about outside of the cell's body the fluid that is formed outside the cell body is what we call the extracellular fluid now we also have what we call the third space now the third space um in a in a in another war is it might fall under the ecf but in some books it is separately aside by itself from the ecf now the third fluid space it is the accumulation and sequestration of trapped fluid in a cavity so like you have ascites when you have ascites fluid accumulates into the belly into the peritoneal cavity so in that case fluid accumulated in your stomach like someone who has cirrhosis of the liver someone who has kidney problem someone who have other fluid problem when they have protruded abdomen the abdomen is distended with fluid that fluid that is found within the abdomen it is what we call the third spacing or you had a knee or uh, knee problem and fluid accumulates in the knee joint in that case that fluid is referred to as a third space fluid space or you have uh you have some problems and you have fluid accumulating in the heart in the pericardial membrane in those areas <coughs> in those cavities fluid in those cavities that are not supposed to be in those cavities are referred to as the third fluid space or third spacing now so these are the fluid compartment now and we also have another one we call the intravascular space now in a sense there are two main fluid compartments those two compartments are the icf and the ecf that's what many books will tell you but we but some books decide to like uh, differentiate the ecf fluid into different little compartments so they have some that are found in the third fluid space and the ones that are found in the third fluid space they cannot be used by the cells because they are not having uh, such an accumulation because they want to have it but it is due to disease condition that we're going to have third spacing so whenever you have a third spacing fluid compartment it is due to disease condition then we have the intravascular in our blood vessels we have fluid that run fluids that run in our blood vessel those fluids are found within the blood vessel only so they are referred to as the intravascular fluid compartments i ask you to read this thing and i hope you read it in the standards and if you read it um there should be no problem under here now in the ecf um the ecf comprises of a uh, intravascular fluids of uh, uh, intravascular fluid 
like the blood plasma that's what i said the the, the intravascular force under the ecf so basically there are two fluid compartments the ecf and the icf and under the ecf we have other little compartment on the ECF that, that I'm talking about now. So we have um, the intravascular fluids, the interstitial fluids, um, cell fluid that surround the cells. Like those, when you look at the cell cytoplasm, you have fluid in there that controls uh, the organelles of the cells. So those fluid in there are referred to as the interstitial fluid compartment. You have the lymph fluid. You have the transcellular fluid, like the one that's in the pericardium, that moisturizes, that provides uh, moisturization, that, that prevents friction around the heart or in the chest. You have the, the, the pancreatic fluid, the pleural space, the intraocular space in the eyes. There are fluids around the eyes and other things. Those fluids will fall under what we refer to as the ECF also. Now, so the fluid in our body will go through uh, different membranes to do their work and that membrane is what we call the semi permeable membrane meaning it allows not everything to pass through there are some components of our blood of our body fluids that can pass through certain membranes and some cannot pass through because they are not that tiny so because the body compartment can allow fluid to shift from one point to another point through different means, which include you have uh, through um, osmosis, active transport, diffusion. That's the, those are the mechanisms that our body use to, 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 to shift fluid between those various fluid compartments. So take for example, if you have uh, increased sodium in your body and the body wants to decrease the sodium, the body will have to shift the sodium. When you are having diabetic ketoacidosis, where you're having too many sugar in the blood that, that cannot be uh, absorbed, the body comes in when you take the insulin, the body works with the insulin to shift the sugar from one point of the body to another, place, to another point of the, uh, in the body. And those things are all accomplished by different fluid volume mechanisms, which include diffusion, active transport, osmosis, and they are large. Now, so that is just what I wanted you to know. And I also want you to look in the Sunders book. There are words that we talk about to define and know them for the fluid volume deficit problems. Those words include the body fluid transport. So the body fluid transport, you have um, different systems of transport that the body uses to carry on fluid and regular balances in our body those include you have diffusion diffusion is um, when you have a solution moving from a, a, an area of higher concentration to an area of lower con concentration that becomes diffusion you also have um, active transport you have osmosis you have um, whether you have filtration, you have uh, osmolality, these are words I want you to define them and know their meaning. When it comes to serum osmolality, the, the values are in the book. You want to look at those values, you want to remember those values. When it comes to uh, 
everything in the uh, in our student book coming from filtration to hydrostatic pressure going towards all those jargon in the you want to know them to be safe for the endless that is one thing i have i want you to look at i give i gave that to you guys more than two three weeks ago now when we are having fluid problem there are three distinct fluids that we want to know and know how they work those include there are there are different medium there are different medium that we use to um provide help to the body now we have three distinct solutions we have the first one is the acetonic solution acetonic solution we have the hypotonic solution hypotonic solution and we have the hypertonic solution now these solutions we have to know them to our fingertip we have to know what solution do we need if a client is having dehydration if the client is throwing out if the client is having diarrhea what can we use if a client has dka what can we use if a client has uh HHNS, what can we use? These are important portion of the end when it comes to the um, fluid volume problems. Now, I'm going to go over them briefly because um, they are in the book and I want you to have read them and know them before, come, before coming here today. Now, the body has ECF and ICF in general. There are two body with compartment ECF and ICF. ECF with outside the cells body and ICF is within the cells body. So when we are looking for homeostasis, we want to create equilibrium between the cells internal structure and the cells external structure. That becomes the ICF versus the ECF. That is where we come in and, 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 and bring in stability or to, homeost uh, to bring in or homeostasis for the body to survive. The eye, the the first one is the is the acetonic solution. In acetonic, both sides of the fluid compartment share everything equal. So the amount of electrolytes in the body in acetonic solution will be the same amount of electrolytes outside of the body. Both electrolytes and fluid are distributed equal between the ICF and the ECF. Between the system and outside the system, they are equal. So this simply means, this is, um, this is the first one, is acetonic. So if we have two, um, you have two, you have three potassium, in the cell body, we're going to have three potassium outside the cell body. That makes it to be equal. So if we are talking about acetonic solution, these solutions contain the same body electrolytes. Uh, the, the same amount of electrolytes that is in the body is what is in the solution. That becomes, so if you give us uh, acetonic solution, you are providing the same body fluid component that the body is missing is what is being provided. Now, if we are having um, 
in a case of uh, we are having problem wherein we are losing important electrical and the body is going into hypovolemic problem will come in and give a particular fluid to create equilibrium now in the hypotonic solution in hypotonic it the the, the solution contains lower electrolytes than what the body has. In here, the solution that is hypotonic, it contains lower electrolytes more than what the body needs. So if the body is going high, it is electrolyte components. Take for example, someone is having hypernatremia. They are having increased sodium in their body. So in that case, we need a hypotonic solution to come into the body and push out the salt from the cell's body. So if the body is in a hyper state, we need hyper solution to pull out electrolytes. Now, just think on in that, that uh, we're talking about electrolytes is like salt. Electrolytes are like salt in our body. So when we are having increased electrolytes, we are going into hypervolemia. And I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, we are going to, uh, uh, we are having increased electrolytes, we are having like a high amount of salt in our body. So it's like you are making the food, right? If the food has too much salt, what do you do? You add H2O to the soup to dilute the salt content in the soup. So if the body is in a high salt content, what do we do? We provide food that is low in salt to dilute the fluid in the cells to create equilibrium. That's what happening in this case. So the hypotonic solution has decreased electrolytes, or in another sense, it has decreased salt content. Now, therefore, hypotonic solution, this solution have increased electrolytes content. So if the body is into a hyponatremia state, where well, the body does not have enough salt in the cells will give hypertonic solutions. These solutions that are hypertonic, they go in to help to push the, the electrolytes back into the cells. That's what happened in here. And if you read the book with understanding, what I'm saying here should not be a new thing. It should be very, it should be known to us because it is in the book and that's how I wanted to have read it and have an idea and make notes before coming here today. Any question? When we are having these problems, our body is into problem because our body is not having a rest. Once our body is not stable, our cells, our mind, our brains, our organs are all inst—they uh, are all unstable. So, in order to create stability. We have to create homeostasis of our body, and that can be done when we, when we have an adequately maintained fluid volume in our body. So, um, if you look in the book, you'll see the different kinds of fluid problems. You will have hypertonic fluids, um, uh, hypertonic dehydration, hypertonic dehydration. And you see acetonic dehydration. You have you see the viral dehydration in the body. Let's do one and see, then you can do the rest of them. 
Let's look at hypertonic dehydration. I'm going to do this, and then you look at the balance in the book on your own. Let's look at hypertonic um, hypertonic dehydration. Only here, water loss exceeds um, the loss of electrolytes. That's the first thing we understand. Under here, water loss, water loss exceeds electrolytes loss. This simply means our body has lost more water than electrolytes, than salt. So what happened in here? The level of sodium is increasing in our body because our body is losing or has lost water in high volume but our body did not lose of or electrolytes now we'll talk about these solutions this system think on water versus electrolytes so um in this case what's happening here the body has lost more fluid so you have this this is our body here so the body here the h2o in here they are going out of the cell body so they are going out so the body will lose more water then here you still have potassium sodium chloride will remain in the body so the body is losing more water than the electrolytes so the electrolyte remains normal now um if let's con let's consider you are making a soup the soup is a system so this, this is the soup the salt the season everything you put in the soup are what we call the electrolytes and you put water on the fish on the soup to boil the soup that becomes the, the that becomes the water now so the season you put in the soup the salt are all forming part of what we call the electrolytes so in the case wherein the pot continues to boil what happens to the water in in the in uh in the electrolyte the water gets dry and the season will remain in the soup so that's what happened in the case of hypertonic dehydration the water in the body is reducing we are having excess water loss and we are having decreased electrolyte loss so when, when, when our body is losing fluid but it's keeping electrolytes our body will go into hypertonic dehydration that's what happened in this case let's look at the symptoms under here um they said that the uh, fluid move from the icf compartment into the plasma and into the interstitial spaces causing cellular shrinking and dehydration when we are having hypertonic dehydration our body fluid the intracellular fluid will get lowered and this the, the, the water that is in the cells body is what that provides the cells its uh, strength to be firm so when the cells are normal in appearance their normality in appearance is occurring due to the amount of fluid in their body so when we are having hypertonic dehydration the cells will lose the fluid in your body and they will shrink it's that look at just just see your body when you lose fluid the whole day what happens to you? your body shrinks 
your eyes will have you will have undercutting of the eyelid the eye the, the, the eye bed will become dehydrated your face will get drained your body will drop you will lose some weight because you are losing fluid and as you are losing fluid the cells remain in your body but the cells cannot give you the look that you need the cells need water so it is the fluid in the cells body that provide for you your normal appearance your strength and other things that make you to look better in appearance when you are losing the fluid your cells become dry the cells get dry the cells shrink so when the cells shrink your body will have to shrink and that's why when you throw out a lot you have dry lips dry lips you have undercut eyelids you have sunken eyes because the cells are the one that providing that good look of your or on your face when the cells are losing their fluid they will shrink in and when they shrink the body will shrink also so that's what happened in here now on another hand um these are things that are going to happen here for the body so in this case um we so the causes are so many things now in this case our dream is to what our dream becomes uh, to increase the fluid loss uh, sorry to increase just say to replace the fluid loss that is our goal when there is hypertonic dehydration because we want to put in fluid now we would need a fluid that will increase the body fluid volume but not increasing the electrolytes in our body we already, we already have electrolytes so we need a hypotonic solution that contains lower electrolytes but it's high in water so we need that so it is just vice versa with hypotonic dehydration any question on this so on the other hand if we have fluid volume excess meaning the fluid intake or the fluid retention has exceeded body requirement so fluid volume excess means the body is withholding more fluid than expected or the body is getting more fluid than expected that becomes what we call fluid volume excess or fluid volume uh, uh, overload so that's what happening in this case now in this fluid volume excess is also what we call over hydration or we call the fluid overload um in short the goal of treatment in this fluid volume excess is to create balance to restore uh, balance between the various various fluid components that are creating instability that becomes the goal every time you have a fluid volume problem the goal is to correct it if you are having hypertonic dehydration the goal is to infuse the client with what hypotonic solution if you are having hypotonic dehydration the goal becomes to infuse the client with what hypertonic solution if the client is into a set of equal uh, equal water and electrolyte loss one of the goal becomes to replace electrolyte loss with what acetonic solution that contains equal volume of electrolytes an equal volume of fluid
So these are things uh, we've been talking about and they are in there. Now, the next thing is to look at, um, I actually sent you some important tips last night in our group chat. And I want you to go ahead and uh, download uh, and, and, and lock, sorry, and, uh, and click on that link. If you click on the link, it takes you to um, some very important areas that you will look at the various kinds of electrolytes. You look at potassium, calcium, magnesium, phosphate. You look at uh, all of those important electrolytes in our body. Now, in the English, we have some challenges. One of those challenges is knowing the value for these electrolytes. Sodium, no sodium, is 135 to 145. You have potassium, you have, you have a, a calcium, you have chloride. You want to know these results. You want to master and know these lab, these lab values because they're going to come in the English. And you also want to read. I gave an assignment some days back to look at the various, um, the various lab value in the standards. Looking at the lab value is one thing, and also knowing what are the indication for this lab value is another thing. Take for example, you have potassium. Now, it is important to know that potassium has some good and great function to the heart. Potassium provides the heart its contract contractility. So when the heart is contracting, when the heart is doing lock, dub, lock, dub, that force of impulse that the heart uses to contract, to relax, is being provided through the strength of potassium. And that's the reason why when we have potassium imbalance, we are going to have cardiac dysrhythmia. It could be increased cardiac memory or it could be increased cardiac rate or decrease. Once we have instability of potassium, it affects the heart directly. We want to understand that these electrolytes have different parts to play on different body organs. You want to understand that uh, um, phosphate, phosphate level is between 0.18 to 1.45. Now, there are risks that can cause us to have shifting in our, phos in our uh, uh, phos uh, phosphate level, which is called phosphatemia in the blood. Now, at this level, you're going to have when there is an advanced or chronic renal problem our level of phosphate will not be normal anymore. There will be shifting in phosphate level. There will be hypo or hyperphosphatemia in our, in our body when we, have, when we hit advanced renal disease or when our renal system becomes, when it collapses and then it goes up high, we meet different phosphate level and that becomes disorder that is linked to phosphate. Now, at any point in time, you have these disorders for sodium, for potassium. When they are increased, you want to consume diet that are, in, that, that are decreased in those electrolytes. If, they, if those uh, electrolytes are decreased, you want to eat or you want to consume food that are high in those electrolytes to replace the lost electrolytes. Now, this is just common. So, when you read the book, 
you you you're not gonna see this thing in the book like, like how I'm talking about. You're not gonna see them there. So you want to Google common food, Google common foods, common food products high in potassium. Google will bring a lot of food. You just want to allow your eyes to glance through the food groups. Look at them. So that when you come in the English, they will say a patient has a phosphate level of 3.4. They might not tell you that that, that is a high phosphate, in, a phosphate level in the blood. They will give you a lot of value. The patient, patient A has uh, 3.4 phosphate in the body or phosphatemia level in the body. Um, what would be the best food group for this patient? A, they will give you different food group. B, different until you get to the last option D with different food groups. And they will ask which one is the best. If you do not have an idea on the kinds of food that are high in phosphate, you wouldn't be able to answer the question. And that's the reason why when you are reading, I'm not going to say everything here 100%. I go before I come here too, I go and look at these things on the internet. I read them. Yes, the books are available. I want to give you fresh info. And that's why I will print these things out every night, rehearse them before coming out because I want us to be on the same page. I want to be on a very good page together to get to the end class and pass the end class. That is just my aim. So when you are reading the book, when you see these lab values, you want to look, you want to look them up. You want, you, you want to read about, even if the book did not provide for you uh, hyper or hypophosphatemia, go to your phone, go to your iPad, your computer, Google hyperphosphatemia. The sudden symptoms, the nursing intervention, it will bring you these things. And you will read it even if you read them one time believe me something will stick in your head and when you get to the end class when you see a question what comes to your mind for is what you pick in the end class because your brain is like a memory card it's like siri on the iphone if someone calls you one time you did not store the person's name on your phone after two three years if the same person calls you siri will tell you that maybe it's John Brown who calling you. Maybe because it just want to say, okay, this number has called you before, and the name used to be in your phone as John Brown. That's how Siri operates, and that's how our brain operates. So when you go to the English, when you see a question and your mind tells you, take this answer, go with it because 99% of the time, the first choice that comes to your mind will be the correct answer. Hello. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. Acidosis versus alkalosis is all about the arterial blood gases. Um, arterial blood gases, we are talking about different gases that control our life. We also have um, acid and bases when it comes to arterial blood gases. As acidosis and alkalosis describe the abnormal conditions that result from an imbalance in the pH of the blood caused by an excess of acid or alkali, which is called base in our body. 
That is just the simple term we define for acidosis and alkalosis. Um, the imbalance is typically caused by some underlying disease or condition. We never have, um, we can never have acid-based imbalances when we do not have any underlying condition. There is, there should always be an underlying condition to create the imbalances that will lead to acid-based imbalances in our body. Now, our normal pH is 7.35 to 7.45. There's our normal pH. 7.35 to 7.45. Anything below 7.35 is referred to as acidosis is in the acid, acidosis state. Anything above 7.45 is in its alkalosis is alkalosis. Let's remember this. There is an exception in this value. But I'm not going to confuse you until we learn the first portion and I will bring you something we call the absolute zero in here. So let's look at just what I'm talking about today. In the pH of the body, for our body to be at equilibrium when it comes to the acid and bases, uh, the acid and base level in our body, there is a small normal range, and that range is just 0 0.10 because from 7.35 to 7.45 is just 0 0.10. So for us to be at equilibrium is very tiny thing that will consider us to be at the point of equilibrium when it comes to the pH. Now, normally, um, normal body functions and metabolism generates large amount of acids that must be neutralized or that must be eliminated, that must be put out of our body to create equilibrium. At any point in time, we are having increased acid in our body. Our body has its own mechanism to reduce the acid level, to bring in base, to create equilibrium. There are two ways we're going to do that. So if you have acidosis, 7.35 and below, meaning we are having high acid level in our body. So when we are having a high level of acid in our body, there are two things the body does to reduce level of acid. One, the body either excretes acid, the body either excretes acid, or the body increases base to create equilibrium between acid and base. There are two things that are happening. If the body is in a high level, in high level of acid, of acid the body either excretes acid or the body to reduce the high level of acid or the body brings in enough base to mash the level of acid to create equilibrium. That's how the body works when acid is increased. That's one. If the body has alkalosis, high level of bases is above 7.45, there are also two ways the body can help to create equilibrium. One way is the body will excrete bases 
or alkali or the body will increase acid to match the level of the base to create equilibrium so the body uses this mechanism in one of the two ways to create equilibrium now our body has different mechanism to create equilibrium our lungs and kidneys are the major organs that create equilibrium our lungs and kidneys are the two major organs our lungs and our kidneys are the two major organs that provide for us the basic mechanism to bring in equilibrium when our body is either in high basis state which is alkalosis or is in low state which is which is uh acidosis so other that's why we'll talk about metabolic alkalosis and talk about metabolic acidosis and talk about respiratory acidosis so when you hear respiratory aka and acid is the lungs when you talk about metabolic it is the kidneys and other things but the two organs interplay to create equilibrium when we are in other of the abnormal stage or state now I'm not going to let go bore you too much um let me just say this the lungs will flush acid out of the body by exhaling co2 remember this very well if our body is below 7.35 at this stage 7.35 meaning our body is having acid doses meaning we are having high level of acid meaning we are accumulating acid in our body so how does the lung work the lungs come in to what breathe out the acid so the lungs will put out co2 so co2 is an acid that the body does not need in high amount so the lungs can reduce the acid level to create equilibrium by what by increasing the output of co2 that's what happens in the case of respiratory acidosis the lungs will put out more co2 it becomes a problem if the lungs if the lungs fought hard but the lungs could not reduce the level of the acid in our body then something else will come to interplay now the kidneys the kidneys will excrete acid in the urine and they regulate the bicarbonate concentration which is a base in the blood so bicarbonate hco3 is the base in the blood we're talking about how this how this have values but today i'm not looking at the value because the values we need to understand all of the values step by step because i want to do this particular class everyone in here should understand what is acid base balances now today i will look at one component which is disease condition what are the condition that would be 
um, when a client has acidosis, what are the conditions that, would, that we expect to have in this case? So let's look at uh, diseases today for these ABGs. Diseases. How can you detect by seeing a disease condition that the client is having metabolic alkalosis or metabolic acidosis? How can you detect by seeing the client having these disease conditions? Let's start with the first one. When we have these conditions, what well, is alkalosis or acidosis? The both system, the lungs and the kidneys, they work to create balance, which is equilibrium, to maintain a normal pH. The lungs and the kidneys work in very good relationship to create equilibrium. Um, there is a buffering system that resists changes in the pH and also contribute to the regulation of acid and base concentration. The main buffers in blood are hemoglobins, which are found in the red blood cells, plasma proteins, carbon dioxide, bicarbonates, and phosphates are the components that control that can be controlled to create equilibrium. Example is the lungs. When we are having too much acid, the lungs will breathe out CO2. As CO2 is going out through breathing, our acid levels are dropping. That's what happened in the case of respiratory acidosis or metabolic acidosis. The lungs put out some CO2, which is considered to be an acid. Now, in the case of acidosis, let's start with acidosis. Acidosis. Acidosis is anything below 7.35 become acidosis. Now, in acidosis, there is increased acid production within the body. There is consumption of substances that are metabolized to acid. There is decrease in acid excretion. There is increase in base, in, uh, there is decrease in acid excretion, there is increase in excretion of base. Now, let me just read this down to understand it. One, when there is acidosis, that means there is increased acid production. Oh my God. There is increased acid production. We will have this. So these are the three mechanisms that lead, that lead to acidosis. Before you can become acidotic, there, is, there should be an increased acid production in the body, meaning you consume food that the end product of that food, after the food is metabolized, the food's metabolites are acid. So when you eat the food, the full emperor will be in acid content. That can increase our acid level in our blood. It can carry us to our acidosis. That's one. If that is not the case, when we have 
we can be having our normal acid in our body, but if the body is not excreting increased acid, acid will accumulate, and if acid accumulates, will still derive at what? Acidosis. Another way is, the body is having normal acid level, the body is excreting normal acid level, but when the base excretion is high, which is increased base excretion, meaning our body will go into acidosis state because the base that's also created equilibrium, the base is going up in high amount. That can create what we call increased base excretion. And when there is increased base excretion, we are being exposed to what? More acid. I hope I'm not, I'm not confusing you. So, you have base here. This is base. And in here, you have, acid, uh, you have acid. Acid is in red. A, B, uh, then uh, base is in blue as B. So, base and acid, they are equal, right? There is an equilibrium. Let's look at the first case. In the first case scenario, increase acid. Now, we are looking at how can the body derive at acid, which is a sickness, which is an, which, 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 which is an, illness, which is an illness or an ill condition. So, the body can derive at this level by one of these three ways. The first way is our body can go into decreased pH, which is acidosis, by one, when there's an increased acid production. Take for example, acid and base are equal, they're at equilibrium, but we sort of have more acid in here than the base. So in, in, in here, we have three, uh, we have two base coming in, but here we have one, two, three, four. So that's why they were equal, but because we are having increased acid production, one, two, three, four. You have four acid coming into the system, and you have two base coming into the system. So, at the end of the day, this has received more acid than the base. So, in that case, it will lead to increased acid production, which will carry us to acidosis or decreased pH. That's one way. Another way is, take for example, this, 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 this is the second way. In the second case scenario, guess what happening? Base and acid are equal, but there is a decreased acid excretion. So you have acid and base leaving the body. Here you have two base leaving the body, and here you have two acid, three acid leaving the body. One, two, three. So despite the base and acid were at equilibrium, but according to the excretion. There is more acid being excreted than base. So, than base. So, in this case, what happening? This will lead to what? Increase acid in our body. Because, uh, I'm sorry, the other way around, I'm so sorry. So, you have more base going out than the acid. So, in this case, you have four base going out. And you have three acids, so more base leaving the body than the acid. So when more base is leaving the body, it leads to lesser acid leaving the body, and it will lead to increase, uh, it will lead to high acid in the body because the acid is not going, uh, they are not being excreted. So in the case of decreased acid excretion, we can also have acid, acid doses in this case.
Is it clear? Am I clear? So, and, and the last portion is increased base excretion. So, if we have increased base excretion, uh, increased base excretion will lead to decreased acid excretion, which will give us the same acidosis. Now, under here, um, we have common problems. Let's still look at acidosis. Under here, look at common causes of acidosis. Causes of acidosis. Now, we start with the first portion, which is respiratory acidosis conditions. One, any condition that leads to reduced CO2 elimination. So under here, conditions that lead to decrease CO2 elimination. Will cause respiratory acidosis. Do you understand this portion? These are the means to know disease conditions that are acidosis or alkalosis. Now, any condition in your body that will lead to decreased CO2 elimination will lead to will lead to respiratory acidosis. Example. Airway obstruction. Any condition that leads to airway uh, obstruction will lead to respiratory acidosis. That means any lungs condition that will make you not to breathe well will lead to respiratory acidosis. I repeat, any condition that will make you not to breathe well will lead to respiratory acidosis because when you're not breathing well you're not putting out co2 and if we accumulate co2 we are accumulating acid that means our body is going into increased acid state which is called acidosis is that clear also is it clear so in the end class in the condition that will, that will deprive us from having our normal breathing pattern that will cause an airway obstruction is will fall under respiratory acidosis. Now, listen, listen to this skinny. Decreased breath rate due to drugs or CNS disorders can cause respiratory acidosis. Impaired breathing and lungs movement will lead to respiratory acidosis. In a disease condition, airway obstruction, it could be due to food or due to foreign body aspiration, will be considered 
but a rotary acid doses. Let's take for example pneumothorax. In pneumothorax, our lungs have been exposed to trauma. For that reason, our lungs cannot expand and deflate in normal patterns. This will lead to respiratory acidosis because the body is not breathing well. So our body is accumulating more acid, which is CO2. It is not being sent out, it is being trapped. So as the body traps CO2, the body is moving into, into, into an acid, acidosis condition or state. Now, any lung disease, any lung disease will fall under respiratory acid because lung disease will cause the lungs not to put out CO2 adequately. It will fall under respiratory acidosis. Now, let's look at respiratory alkalosis. Go ahead. Yeah, my question is regarding if someone is choking on a food or something and it's blocking the airway, can you consider that as respiratory acidosis? Yes. Yes, because the would be for you in that way. The first is eating and suddenly they get choked on a piece of bread or something. That would be respiratory because once there is an obstruction of the airway of any condition. You're not putting out CO2. CO2 is being trapped. In that case, it is respiratory acidosis. So think about thousands of conditions. You said? Yeah, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Because mm -hmm. I was looking in Sandra's book right now mm -hmm. on page 92 in the edition I have in box 9. They have a list of uh, causes of respiratory acidosis. So mm -hmm. that's something to also take into consideration. They might not be straight to name it as it is written with the diseases, but it could come in a scenario like that, seeing someone is eating. And, and that's the reason why I'm not calling diseases because we do not know all of them. There are thousands. So just understand that when there is an airway obstruction of any form, it will lead to CO2 trap being trapped in the lungs. Once CO2 is being trapped, CO2 is an acid. So when it is not coming out, it is accumulating. You remember we talked about, we said there are three ways we can have acidosis. When acid is not being excreted, it leads to acid building up. It can cause acidosis. That's one. When bases are going out in excess amount and acid are not going out, it leads to acidosis. That's two. And we said when we take in food or other things that will increase our acid level, it leads to acid build up. That becomes acid. So we talk about, I said there are three things. I wrote all three on the board. You mouth, I just talk about it while I wrote A and B in, in the two boxes. That's it. Uh-huh. So when there is too much of acid, it leads to acidosis. When there is too little of base. It also can create acid to go up. Now, let's let listen to the respiratory alkalosis. In respiratory alkalosis, under here, um, increase in CO2 elimination. There is increase in CO2 elimination. 
So any condition that will exacerbate fast breathing will lead to respiratory alkalosis. Because when you are breathing fast, you are putting out too much base. So examples include panic attack, anxiety. When you panic, what happens? So that's why when you're having a panic attack, <clears throat> we gave you a bag, put your nose to put your CO2 in it, and you breathe it back into your system because when you pour too much CO2, your body goes into deficit, which is alkalosis. So that's why we gave you a bag to put your nose to breathe in the CO2 you're putting out. <clears throat> so in the condition that exposes us to fast breathing meaning we are having increased co2 elimination i'm going to run it here in big form so you understand it so in acidosis respiratory is co2 um is uh decreased co2 elimination Meaning, CO2 is trapped in our lungs. In respiratory alkalosis, this simply means there is increased CO2 elimination. Meaning, CO2 is released in high amount so you see how it works so any condition that will trap co2 will lead to respiratory acidosis any condition that will exacerbate that will stimulate fast breathing will excrete more co2 leads to respiratory alkalosis so when you see panic attack claustrophobia xenophobia all those conditions will lead to respiratory alkalosis they will ask you a client using um a non-rebreather mask called a nurse that she's suffering from claustrophobia what could be the possible arterial blood gas imbalance the client is faced with that will be respiratory alkalosis because the client is having panic attack they having fast breathing, they are putting out too much CO2, then they can maintain in their body, which will lead to respiratory alkalosis. A client who was eating and got choked, could not breathe for a certain amount of time, and the client's eyes are red, the eyes are protruding. This client is at risk for what? ABG's problem, respiratory acidosis. I'm sorry, uh, yeah, because they are being choked and there's an error of obstruction. A client who is having COVID-19 cannot breathe well, the lungs are congested, the client is a river respiratory acid because the client is trapped, is trapping CO2. That's how I want to remember these things. So when you so when you're having hyperventilation due to anxiety. Due to pain, a client who is in pain, 
will be having whatever they because the client is in pain and they are having they are breathing faster they are having tachycardia they are having tachypnea they are going into respiratory alkalosis does that make sense then Go, go ahead. We're coming, we're coming to that. Just give me like one minute. So, um, when you are having fever, you are exercising, all those conditions will be respiratory alkalosis. When you are having liver failure, when you are having infection, you are having trauma, like meningitis and encephalitis infection, the client is having respiratory alkalosis. When you take drugs such as aspirin overdose, when you overdose aspirin, the client is having respiratory alkalosis, just so you know that. Then we look at metabolic. Now in metabolic, we have metabolic alkalosis, we have metabolic acidosis. Now in metabolic conditions, um, we look at the sodium bicarbonate. When you hear, hear the word metabolic, metabolic, we are looking at sodium bicarbonate, HCO3. We are discovering about sodium bicarbonate. Now, when you hear metabolic acidosis, it's a decrease in this level. There's a decrease in HCO3, meaning in the, in the bicarbonate level. In our body um, whenever there is metabolic acidosis there is decrease in bicarbonate level in our body that means we are putting out so many important electrolytes that the body is losing in that case the client is into metabolic acidosis take for example in the case of alcoholic ketoacidosis Diabetic ketoacidosis, kidney failure, lactic acids, toxins, GI bicarbonate, prolonged diarrhea, renal bicarbonate loss, the client is going into metabolic acidosis. Now, in short, in short, um, any condition, any condition that obstructs the body from carrying on its mechanism to create equilibrium that condition will fall under metabolic acidosis so when you are having diabetic ketoacidosis acidosis dka the body is not breaking down blood sugar and the body fail to break down blood sugar the body will be accumulating byproduct which is called the sodium bicarbonate so in that case the client is having metabolic acidosis in a case where there's an obstruction of the body's normal metabolism, normal mechanism of breakdown of food and other food components will lead to metabolic acidosis. Example is diarrhea. In diarrhea condition, when the client is having diarrhea, the client is having metabolic acidosis. Now, remember, diarrhea is the opposite of diarrhea is what we call, um, so we have vomiting, we have diarrhea, right? If the client is vomiting, is under metabolic alkalosis. When the client is having diarrhea, it falls under metabolic acidosis. Now, in the case of metabolic alkalosis, 
there is increase of this bicarbonate in metabolic alkalosis mean there is increase in the body uh, bicarbonate level so condition that will cause the body to have increase in this byproduct it leads to metabolic alkalosis so when, you, when the client has prolonged vomiting so when the client is vomiting the client is having metabolic uh, the client having metabolic alkalosis when the client has potassium loss the client is having metabolic alkalosis when a client has a prolonged vomiting the client has severe dehydration that derived from vomiting the client is into metabolic alkalosis any question we 